What is going on, everybody? Welcome to A Theology of Hustle. I'm your host, Curry Blandford, and today I'm talking to Lori Krieg. So Lori just recently released a book uh, called An Impossible Marriage that she wrote alongside her husband, Matt, and this book is a must-read. They In this book, they talk about their mixed orientation marriage, and there's so much more uh, theology and depth that they get into just the understanding of marriage and the purpose of sex and the idolatry that a lot of the church has around uh, both of these things is just incredible. And so in this episode, we talk about Lori and Matt's story, how all of this sort of unfolded, uh, understanding trauma, we get into what marriage actually is like the theology behind marriage. And so even for the single people out there, like our, our purpose and what God has for us is just ever present in this episode. And you were just going to get uh, so much out of this episode, listening to Lori. There's incredible wisdom here. I can't wait for you to hear it before we get to the episode. I just want to remind you to make sure you're following me on Instagram and Facebook at theology of hustle and on Twitter at Curry Blanford. I also have a YouTube channel called bootleg Bible college, which just in order to understand uh, God's kingdom and, and what he's doing and, and the, the basics of, of, of Bible and theology. So go check that out. And I hope you really enjoy hearing from Lori. Okay. Well, Lori, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and chat. And this is uh, super fun. Yeah. Super glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. Love it. Uh, okay, let's just start off by having you maybe just introduce yourself to everybody a little bit. So my name is Lori Krieg, and I am a teacher and an author, freshly minted, and uh, a ministry leader. We were formerly Hole in My Heart Ministries. We are now Impossible Ministries, and our goal is to equip the church with a gospel-centered approach to marriage and sexuality. And so what's that mean? We're taking the good news of the gospel and making it practical specifically when talking about marriage and sexuality. Yeah. Good. I love that. I think that's really important stuff. And, uh, I can't wait to talk about some of that. And I, your work and your, uh, life are so intertwined. I mean, they, you know, you, you do your work because of your life. And so I'd love to just walk through some of the, uh, story that led you to, running a, a ministry for, for marriage. And I know that's a big, you know, a big story, uh, but I'd love to just hear some of the, some of that. Yeah. So where our book begins is asking in our book that I'm talking about is called an impossible marriage. That's the newly minted author thing I was referencing to. Uh, it begins with me seven years into our marriage and I'm packing a suitcase of warm clothes. And in that suitcase, I'm packing a question. What do you want? And that question was asked by a friend earlier in the day. And she thought I knew like she knew the answer. She's like, what do you want? I mean, hello, you want your husband, Matt? Cause that's what she was referencing was like, do you want to stay in your marriage? And what had happened for me at year seven, I mean, what is it about year seven? I feel like every marriage hits something <laughs> then. It's like the wheels fall off. You're all very real. Uh, but our oldest daughter had turned the age that I was when a repressed uh, memory of assault had happened to me, sexual assault when I was a kid. And it was still very blurry and vague, but like it was bananas because every time my husband, Matt, 
um, who was not my perpetrator and was like literally the nicest guy ever. Um, every time he'd walk into certain rooms, I would fight, flight, or freeze. And by fight, I mean, like, I didn't get noisy. It was mostly the freezing um, <laughs> and hyperventilating. And I was like, so something's broken. I'm broken. Um, and it was interesting because this memory recall magnetized to my version of broken sexuality which is when I wrestle with lust, it's toward women. Mm. And okay, but here I am married to a dude. How's that work? Um, rewind seven, eight, nine years before that. And I was in college and I had felt attractions to the same sex growing up. And I just, it wasn't like, you know, maybe like, heterosexual dudes feel like, oh, I got to surrender my version of brokenness to Jesus, my sexual brokenness. When you struggle with attractions to the same sex, especially in the 90s growing up, it wasn't like, oh, just surrender that. It was like, that's categorically non-Christian. Right. That's not something you surrender. That's like, pray that. You pray that gay right away. (laughs) So, yeah. I felt it growing up and I just would like detach it from myself because I'd hear these phrases like there's a war on marriage and the gay agenda is going to like murder you in your sleep. Like that was kind of the sense. Um, So I, in college though, met another girl who felt the same way about me as I did about her. Here I am in a same sex relationship. And I was super baffled because the only stories I knew about like quote unquote homosexuals was like, they're doing like lines of cocaine and like sleeping around and are very not Christian. Right. But right. I love Jesus lots, lots, lots. And it wasn't like a pretend love Jesus. It was like super love Jesus, like legit. So I was Z confused, as the kids say. And um, someone came alongside me and um, I reached out to her because I was suicidal. And so I wasn't like, fix me, make me straight. I was like, help me. I want to die. And she just started digging into my heart and, um, would ask me questions just as we're talking about my life. Like, Lori, when you're picturing the ideal perfect woman, like who, what's in your head? And I was like, okay, that's super weird. And I'm not gonna tell you cause you're 70. No. But then I started saying it and um, I was super shocked that like what came out of my mouth wasn't sexual words. It was heart words. Like I want to be seen and known and loved just as I am. And she'd have to catch my eye because I was like full of so much shame and self-hatred, which makes you look down in a way. Yeah. And she'd say, Lori, those are not bad things. You're just going to the wrong place. The answer was not to go to a man. That's also idolatry. Yeah. But then I looked at her, I'm like, but don't say Jesus because I know I've tried him and I'm like a super Christian. So she still said the answer is Jesus because that's the answer for all of us, but it wasn't to make me straight. Like I didn't realize that I knew Jesus in my head. I didn't like experience Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Like there's a difference yeah. in like knowing him and like no knowing him. And I had like a lot of gunk in the trunk, like the barriers between my head and my heart. And she didn't come alongside me with some like weirdo reparative therapy garbage. She came alongside me with regular old spiritual disciplines. Huge. The biggest ones for me were lament paired with like real life forgiveness, which we can get into that if you want to, and listening prayer, like experiencing God, those have unquestionably profoundly changed my life. So fell in love with Jesus 
as that removed and his love, as it says in Ephesians three empowers us uh, not to go from gay to straight, but to die to self, Hmm. whatever our version of brokenness is. So I didn't, it wasn't like I had this raging attraction to men. It was like, I love Jesus and he's worth giving up everything for because he's my husband. And I started getting excited and I'm going to go be a professor, an English professor, because I'm pretty sure that's the only occupation lesbians can have. But um, I was single and married to Jesus. And sorry, jokes. Um, but <laughs> I like jokes. It's it's so critical in this conversation. It's got to be at least like 30% joke. It's way too <laughs> right. serious. Um, so then I sensed Jesus' hand on my shoulder saying, I have someone for you. And I was like, no. Um, when I said like, not my will, but yours, I meant like, not my will, but yours, as long as your will is mine. Right. And yeah. as we all do, right. Don't we all yeah, do that? Totally. totally. We start, we say we surrender, but are we really willing to surrender all, including my desire to want to be single? And so anyway, he had my heart not connect with all of mankind. That's weird. He had my heart connect to one man, Matt, who is now uh, my husband. And it started with heart connection, friendship. It was like we were looking shoulder to shoulder, running toward Jesus. And God's like, this is the mode. I want you, Lori, not everyone like me. Don't go tell all your same-sex attracted gay friends that this is their story. The mode I want you, Lori, to make disciples is as a married woman. Marriage and singleness are equally valuable modes to do the mission to make disciples. He's just like, how does he want us to do it? For me, as a married person. He knows how to sanctify us best, bless us the best. So we got married. And I wanted to marry him. It wasn't like the old ball and chain. It was like, I wanted to marry him. And he wanted to marry me. So that worked. Then seven years later, memory pop up. And although Matt wasn't my perpetrator, his maleness reminded me of my perpetrator. And it magnetized to these attractions that I'd been surrendering to Jesus. But those magnetized and asked a question, what do you want? Do you even want to be in this marriage? Which led me to a silent retreat where I really wrestled with God and made a pro con list pros of leaving my marriage, which I can pause here and say, do you have any questions? Do you want me to carry on? No, I, I love this. I think, yeah, I think I do have lots and lots of questions for you, but <laughs> yeah. I think setting the stage, setting the stage with your story, I think is really important to understanding why you do what you do. So totally. I would love if you don't mind yep. uh, just to, yeah. So I'll just briefly share and you guys are going to, Honestly, if you want to dive into all of it, just get the book. But yeah, as I'm wrestling, you know, pros and cons, literally. And it wasn't like, dear diary, here's the pros and cons. It was like, dear God, I'm wrestling with staying in my marriage. Right. And so it was really a conversation with him back and forth, which you read very grittily in our book. And so pro, um, you know, I get to be married. You know, I'll find someone, my person. Con, I don't want to confuse my kids. Pro, I'm so sick, so sick of my existence being controversial. Like hmm. to have hate on both sides of this conversation. Like I don't, I don't get to pick this conversation up and right. set it back down. It's my life. If I'm yeah. pregnant, that's a statement. If I'm yeah. whatever. Anyway, yeah, that'd be a pro. Con, I'd lose friends possibly, but I could easily like rewrite the narrative and be like, well, they don't really know Jesus. They don't know me, whatever. They're haters from the beginning. Easy to rewrite. Con, maybe I go to hell, which I'm not going to go down that path right now, but it wasn't that convicting. I was like, kind of, I don't know. But then God reminded me of the book of Jude. Who reads Jude? 
I read Jude. Nobody reads Jude. Nobody reads Jude. <laughs> but I was still doing my Bible reading plan in the middle of yeah. all this chaos. So Jude was up for the day. <laughs> so, and it the Bible is alive and active. And the Spirit uh, brought to mind verses 17 through 19. And a piece of it is there, like, to, it's basically a warning about the last times. And he says, there are those who are among you who follow what is natural to them because they do not have God's spirit in them. Hmm. And I just sat with that. Follow what's natural to me. No God's spirit. None of it. Eh, what's your spirit give me, God? Everything was on the table. Me. Like 4.0 leader of blah, blah, blah. Ministry leader, right? What's your spirit give me, God? And dude, it was so crazy. In the next two seconds... I experienced what I believe was like a micro taste of a life devoid of God, a life of hell. And I was so afraid and freezing cold. And like, it wasn't like, oh, I'm empty. I'm hungry. It was like, I was emptiness. And I was like trying to suck life and hope into me. And I couldn't, it was two seconds. And when those two seconds were done, I was like panting. And um, something was so clear to me. It was... The Holy Spirit is not some sort of Jiminy Cricket in our lives. Like, always let your conscience be your guide, kids. Ha ha. He is the only source of life Amen. and hope yeah. and peace. And so if I want life and hope and peace, I want his gifts, then I want him. And if I want him, this is all over 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, John 14. If I want him, then I want what he has for me. If you love me, you obey my commandments. And I was like, okay, God, I want your gifts. So I want you. And so if I want you, then I want what you have for me and what you have for me, not for everyone like me is this marriage. And so I packed up my bags the next morning. Instead of a question, I had a conviction and, um, I did not go running into Matt's arms and then the music played and end scene. It was, I don't know how you're going to fix our marriage. I don't know if we're ever going to be physically intimate again. I have no idea how you're going to fix that. And it wasn't like pretend like, wow, I'm setting up a beginning of a book. I did not know. I never dreamed we'd write this book. And, but, you know, and (laughs) spoiler alert, not really. The rest of the book, you hear us as you, I know you've read, you hear me and Matt wrestling through these questions of what is the good of marriage? Why is it male and female marriage? Why sex? Like, really, why? Like, why are right. we doing this thing? Uh, there's themes of trauma, pornography addiction. And um, that question, though, like, really, it's the what's, what is marriage and what's the good of it? That's what you hear me wrestle through through the whole book. Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciated that. And I'm excited to talk about that. What I loved about the book, though, uh, I mean, in addition to all of those other things that you see very rarely is the ability to be in process and like be okay with being in process because mm. I feel like Christianity has this narrative that like it's all got to be okay and it's all got to like get wrapped up with a yeah. bow and like there's nothing about your book that is wrapped up with anything right wow. I mean like there's no there's no happy ending per se or you right. know there's 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 a process and I think that's really really important mm, thanks yeah that yeah, yeah. I mean hmm. That's just what our world is starving for, isn't it? Like we need Jesus and then we need people who are maybe a half a step ahead right. of us, not a hundred steps, which is- Or maybe, pretend like they're a hundred steps. Or pretend, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly yeah. right. Yep. Yeah. Because no one has that. And I Nobody think does. I think we've been, I don't know, 
I'm in this whole generational thing. Like we're, we're like our generation of like church leadership, I think is paying for a lot of the, of the missteps of previous uh, leaders just because there was no ability to like delve into hard things. Everything was like hunky dory and we're building this church and it's going to be like, we're bringing God's kingdom to the world or something. And it's just, I think we're, we're dealing with the after effects of that in a lot of ways. You are so right because it, there was a there's such a distance between our stage selves and then our real selves right. and then it's yeah we're cleaning up the aftermath yeah yeah so anyway i loved the book i, I what i just there you were so you both and i love that matt's story and your stories sort of you know that he was telling his perspective and you were telling your perspective the whole yep. time which was super helpful to me mm-hmm. uh wh- how in the world did y'all get to a place where you could be that vulnerable in written word that like, know, <laughs> like right? does it get to be taken back? I guess. You're so right. Um, and we are very vulnerable and authentic. And so I had been, here's like some publishing back story. I had been pitching books to publishers for at least like a couple different ideas for like a couple years. Um, before we started working on this one, but I was not pitching this one. So InterVarsity approached us and they asked us, would you write a book about mixed orientation marriage? And I was like, oh no, um, we're a mess. And we had actually, we weren't a mess anymore. Like we were to a place of like sweet. Mm. Um, but I was like, no. And I asked God, we just started praying and asking him. And he was like, I don't know how to say it to you other than it was such an impressing, like, you must write this now. There are Mm. marriages who need this now. And so Mm. I could have said no, you know, I'm sure you probably feel like your podcast or pastoring, you know, you're like, I can, he gives us the option, but there was something about it. And so as we went through the process, every chapter, every, you know, scene that we shared, it was that same holding our hands open. Okay, God, this is your book. You asked us to do this. What do you want us to say? And, um, it just, it was, it was so impressed on us, like just to get real, like move, remove that barrier between the screen self and the real self. It not be, you know, graphic, but to be real. And, um, I was aware, like I kept checking in on myself, like, do you want to share this with the world, Lori? Sure, you want to share this with the world. And my even my very sister is my very best friend. She's like, she read the book. She's like, so you don't look great in this. It's <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> no. But I kind of love that because that's yeah. people, I, I want to see that real life. And so for some people, maybe, maybe that's not. They, they want the, you know, superstars to follow, which are awesome. And they're not, you know, uh, whatever. We don't need to get yeah. into all that. No, I but, get it, I get it. So it, I just kept checking in with myself and, um, with Matt and with our close community. And, um, we didn't know any other option other than to take an extremely humble route, especially engaging this conversation. It just felt like the wisdom of God. I totally agree. And it's just one of those conversations that we just, I mean, Christians would rather just not deal with it. And so we just like sort of uh, brush it under the rug and let it just sit there and like fester, honestly, uh, until something blows up, you know? Uh, Yeah. yeah. So I appreciate you bringing the conversation uh, to the, to the fore here. Um, 
can you just i mean i know i have a lot of people probably listen to this podcast on all on all all in every place but i think there's a, a vast majority of christians who have never sort of um even thought about what a mixed orientation marriage looks like right. like can you just put some like kind of uh feet to that idea yeah. so when i was getting married into my mixed orientation marriage i didn't know i was getting into a mixed orientation marriage <laughs> and by that i mean i didn't know i had a label i knew i wrestled with attractions to the same sex i knew i was surrendering to jesus i knew it was called the marriage to matt uh so what is mixed orientation marriage um which i hope people listening even though that's on the cover we wanted to use our impossible marriage to look at the marriage between Christ and church. So this is not a how-to if you're in a mixed orientation marriage. This is, let's look through our weirdo right. marriage. I say that in love and kindness. Yes. <laughs> to Christ. But what mm. is our weirdo marriage is a mixed orientation marriage means so one of at least one of the people involved in this marriage, their default sexual attraction is not toward the gender of their spouse. So that'd be me. My default sexual attraction is not toward the gender of my spouse. And so that's kind of what it is. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that's helpful. It's, you know, I think sometimes people don't understand words and, you know, it yes. gets, like it just gets very confusing and it's, uh, yep. yeah. And so, I didn't know it. And I'm in one. <laughs> so it took oh, wait me a, a minute. Oh, is that, that what I might am? might be me. <laughs> yeah. I, I love it. Until like five years ago, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's helpful. I just wanted to set the stage for sort of what we're even talking about here and, and some yep. of your story. And I love, I do think that like, it is, it is awesome that you're not saying this is how everyone should do it. And this is like what everybody's called to and- mm -hmm. You're saying this is my story and yep. this is how it like played out for me. And, yep. uh, and you can take that. The Holy spirit can use that. However, the Holy spirit wants to in, in somebody's life. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I hope that's a, something that our book pushes on is it's, we got to ask the question, what's the purpose of your life? Right. Yeah. It's you. And then what's he, how's he calling you to live that out and not just do the timeline thing. Are you born, yeah. get married, have babies, tithe and die. It's, right. What's it calling you? Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's good. And I, I mean, you're on, you're on the podcast for talking about some of that stuff. So, um, okay. So I really, Lori, I have two, like, I have so many things I want to talk to you about. Um, the first of all, first of all, this was a, so I'm a pastor. I have been for a long time. My wife's a therapist. You know, we talk about marriage a lot. Like we, we walk through people's marriages. This book broke down even some uh probably idols that i have in oh, yeah. marriage and uh sex honestly and yeah. i i it was just really refreshing i guess to talk about mm -hmm. those sorts of things in a different way can you just talk about maybe some of these idols uh and how those have broken down i guess yeah so a wrestling that you hear in the book and the interplay between Matt and I, I think is interesting. And his parts in the book are my total favorites uh, because he says some weird stuff for being a dude. Like he's, he's just so thoughtful. And I think the blessing of our marriage and the unique 
suffering God allows us to walk through in challenges is it causes us to ask questions like about these preconceived timeline things like, Hmm. all right, this is just when you get married, you go to your college and you get married or everything in marriage then turns into a bid for sex, you know, like, okay, I do the dishes or we have an emotional conversation. All roads lead to sex. Like, does it? Does it have to? Is sex really the barometer of marriage? The barometer? And um, what does oneness mean? So back to the interplay between Matt and I, a theme that you hear us wrestle through as we're asking these big what's marriage, what's sex questions is Matt needed to learn how to dethrone sex in marriage from the idol had become in his life, which is what you're alluding Mm. to. And I needed to learn how to elevate it to the gospel metaphor that it is. Mm. So whereas Matt needed to really work on not making it ultimate, I needed to not see it as worthless. What's interesting is Matt and I both end up at the same place is taking the weight off of us, of our marriage and putting it on Jesus. Mm. So like when I took our marriage and placed it, really just like started to see Jesus through it, which that sounds very cheesy, what I just said. I'll come back to that. I don't know. It just softened me. And um, that wasn't the only thing either. There's lots of things God did. And then when Matt took the emphasis of like, Lori is the one who essentially helps me to feel seen and known and desired through sex, you know, that he took that emphasis off of me and put it on Jesus. Like, Jesus, you're the one who helps me feel seen and known and loved. Like that even unified us. Like, God, I need to see you through our marriage. And Matt's like, I need to see you through our marriage. (laughs) So we ended yeah. up at the same place. Right. Um, what I said, I'd circle back to with that, like, I needed to see Jesus through. Like, I guess, I mean, if you want to dive into that, like, how can we see Jesus through sex and marriage? I'm happy to go there. Yeah. Well, I, okay. Can I, can yeah. I preface Please. that conversation? Please. Because I loved, like, you know, you have a mixed orientation marriage, which is, is different than my marriage. We'll just, we'll just put me on the, on the, yeah. yet, yet the book's constant refrain is that all marriages are impossible. And I loved that, you know, like, and I feel like, I guess, as I was reading the book, we've walked through some really hard stuff with some people who are Christian and non-Christians alike. And we've, we've walked through a lot of divorces, which is just so hard and sad. And like, but I kept coming back to most Christian marriages aren't any different than anyone else's marriage. And I think that's a problem Mm. because we, like you talked about seeing G you know, your issues with seeing Jesus in the marriage and seeing marriage for what it is. Right. I think we just like take on whatever the world says marriage should be in this like ultimate fulfillment. And that like this person's supposed to like make me totally happy and all the like wrong thing, the things that I feel are wrong with me, like are made right by being married to this person. Yep. We do that. And then we do, you know, I think a huge sin I'm going to say that we've done is say and point at women and say, women, you are responsible for your husband's issues with lust. Yeah, totally. I cannot understate 
how much that is the secret sister code that we are trained from right before you get married. So they're like, by the way, you're a store and your husband needs to shop in your store. And if you don't, he's going to shop somewhere else. Wink, wink. He's going to go look at porn. He's going to cheat on you. So it's on you. Like, help me understand how that's biblical. Like how, how would blaming someone else for your sin throw down with God? How did it go with Adam? (laughs) Right. Yeah, totally. Okay. How much of that mentality rests on the purity culture that we experienced in the nineties? I mean, I'm sure it's there. I'm sure that's the purity culture. You know, I was trained you know, watch what you wear because your brothers are going to stumble. But there was never this like, hey, dudes. It be, and it was bounce your eyes, right? Yeah, for the guys. It but it was never guys. Guess what your heart is longing for? It's longing for Jesus. Your yeah. heart, you want to be seen and known and loved and desired by him. And God, he may call you to marriage. He may call you singleness. Instead, they said, hey, dudes, just don't. And wait till you're married and your wife will satisfy all your sexual desires. Yeah. So some of that is purity culture. Some of that is just OG sin of Adam, you know, like blaming her. And then us, we just, then we get secretly resentful and we aren't seeking oneness. We're saying sex equals oneness. Right. Which I think is another issue in this is, is that's the, that's been, drilled into us. That's the barometer of marriage. It can be a barometer, you know, right. if you're not holistically one, but you can have sex with your spouse and it not be oneness. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's super important. Okay. So can you, can we get down into the nitty gritty then? Cause I mean, people need to read your book to get all of this, but how, how have you come to understand marriage? Cause I think even for me, it was sort of a, there was a paradigm shift. So, so what does that look like to for oneness and and Jesus and all the things. <laughs> I know that's actually a really good question in, to encapsulate elements. So a pivotal change for me in my thinking. And again, you know, I'm simultaneously going to counseling, not to pray the gay away, but for the like trauma stuff, Matt and I were in marriage therapy. We're talking to our friends, but we're like super scared about that. Like you hear us do lots of failing. But one thing I did after coming back from the silent retreat is I was curious because I was like, pretty much everyone I know that's married is straight. You know, I know other mixed orientation. I was like, they say the same dumb sentences I do. The women okay, this is a little, maybe this is wrong, but the women feel like they just want their husbands to give, go away and yeah. be done. And husbands always are wanting sex. Like that's, and the women are always rolling their eyes and the husbands are always rolling their eyes and we always make fun of each other and it's blah, blah, blah. We hate each other. I was like, help me understand marriage because everyone seems to like secretly hate each other overtly. And everyone, like, I don't know anyone with a satisfactory sex life. When everyone talks about sex, every, every female friend I know is like, ugh. And every male friend, ugh. And so I was like, is there anyone I know who's happy in their marriage? Like legit. And so I started grilling my friends and, um, 
I found a few older couples who could say with sincerity, like that their sex life, there was challenge to it, but there was like a richness. So that was a start that helped me. It helped. This is why we need like real life models who are not pretend a hundred steps ahead, but we need people who are like, this is real life hard. Cause that was important to me. Yeah. Um, I need to know there are real humans who don't just write marriage books. And so I'm just going to be straight with you. No pun intended. Most marriage books are written by straight dudes. Yeah. I don't hear the wife's perspective. Is he saying all of this? He's writing the marriage book and the wife's rolling her eyes. Like, I want to hear that. I want to hear the wrestling. I was so tired of this lofty theological, to me, felt like garbage. I threw so many marriage books across the room because I was like, this does not apply. Help me hear the wife's perspective. Or like at some point there was an asterisk and it was like, if you've had trauma, see this. Like, I just felt like I was this footnote of impossibility. But again... I felt like every other marriage I was talking to felt the same way I did. Mm. So then I started di- di- diving into the theology of it. In a book I did not throw across the room, which I mentioned this and give him a shout out, is the old Franz Franchan, Francis Chan- <laughs> and Lisa's book, because it wasn't rolling its eyes at the other gender, which was refreshing to me. Because as someone who's attracted to the same sex and struggles with men, I've done lots of laments on masculinity and toxic. I'm just going to be straight with you. Again, no pun intended. I, we need to stop the gender joking. We've just got to stop. It's not helpful. So, or gender jabs. Maybe we can be silly. But anyway, I appreciated that's not how they began their book to build a rapport, but they focused it on God. But then he helped me to start waking up to Ephesians 5, which we've all read it a thousand times. If you've ever done a wedding, I'm sure you have. That's where you go to. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall be united into one. This is a great mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. I'd read it a thousand times. I overheard Focus on the Family a million times. I've heard a million sermons and podcasts about that, but never did I ever understand, and maybe they were talking about it, and I just missed it. That the great mystery is not like, I know, men and women fall in love. It's like a super shock. And then hormones trick them into marriage. And then surprise, you're in a covenant and God hates divorce. So sucks to be you, suckers. Right? Like, that's what we say. Yeah. Yeah. So instead of, oh, isn't it a great mystery? No, no, no. The great mystery is that God wants to marry us. And then I started thinking, how different is men from women? Are men from women? Oh, my goodness. Like, that's where all the gender jokes come from. How different is God from humanity? Hmm. Ephesians 121, he is far above every ruler and power and authority, not only in this life, but in the life to come. What? So God is ontologically different, and yet he will marry us in the whole narrative of the Bible from the beginning to the end and all woven through it. When God talks about his people, Israel, and being one with us and being united to us, it's never like you failed the class, people. It's never you are bad subjects. It's you cheated on me. Right. So here's this lover God who is far above our ruler, power, principality, and authority, and he wants to marry dusty old us. Yeah. Sex difference is not a cosmic joke or cosmic punishment. It's cosmic design. Hmm. So that helped me to see, oh my goodness. When Matt and I die to self to be one with each other, just like you're called to do and everyone who's called to marriage is called to do. 
we show the world a gospel picture, how Jesus died to marry us and how we are to die every day to be in, have increasing oneness with him. That blew my mind, but that was such a stake in the ground, that combination of real life people living it out, but then realizing sex design is not a joke. It's on purpose. Then I just had to figure out the how. <laughs> I had to figure yeah. out the how. Yeah. That is a lot. I mean, <laughs> there's a, that's a lot of theology. And I think that's a, like, we, yeah, we just don't talk about that stuff about as, as the church. Yeah. Even as you were talking, I thought how amazing that God even cares that we are adulterous to him, like Hosea, right? Yes. When, uh, I mean, that that God would even care about us enough to like care that we are unfaithful to him is pretty astounding. There's no reason that he should care about us in that way, right? I mean, you literally sound like a psalm I've read recently. Like, who am I? Who is man that yeah. he should care for us? Like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, he does. And that's. I mean, that's, that's beautiful. That's why it starts and ends with a, a marriage, right? I, yeah. And then you got to dive into why sex and marriage though. There's the next yeah. part. Right. Can we talk about that? Yeah. So there's several reasons for why sex and marriage. Yes. Kids. Yes. You know, pleasure. But here's... I hope I get to like the, the one that really altered me, but let me just pause on kids and pleasure for a hot second. Whenever I'm talking to married couples now, I'm training my mind to look above them to what they're metaphoring. Like you're not just having kids because that's the next thing on the timeline. Right. What's it say about God? If we as married people are called to live the metaphor, we all are, but I'm talking about marriages right now. What are we metaphoring? When God, when we are united with God, he wants to produce fruit in us. And so when we are one with our spouse, like we're not just doing this like thing where you have kids and I just, I don't know, I want like three, I think, and like a boy and a girl. And that's so self-stupid centered. Mm. How about God? What are you calling? What kind of fruit you want to produce in us? Yes, of children, which I think is like actual physical children, not just spiritual stuff. Um, which is probably another debate, but I'm just going to, I'm going to hold to that. Uh, if God allows you to, you know, I'm not saying it, yeah. whatever that's, it's not, not completeness or no. Yeah. And it's yeah. not in, right. infertility, et cetera. Yeah. That's part of right. the fall. God help. But, um, and adoption is another way to do that. And, um, and it's such a beautiful other picture of the gospel adoption, good grief. But I think we have to always look above it and even pleasure. So that one was huge for me you know, cause this was such a painful, hard place. And then you add in trauma. Like we don't yeah. talk about that enough. Like how, okay. If a quarter of women have gone through sexual assault and like a fifth of men, like. I just, that is like, I, it's too much. That's just like so hard to hear and under, understand. Yeah. Well, and then like this day and age, if Allender, Dan Allender is like foremost, you know, guy who talks about like sexual assault and stuff. Like he thinks the first time you see pornography, that can be assault. Whoever introduces it to you like that, not assault, but it's like violation. Yeah. I mean, it's basically like this next generation, Gen Z, God help them. It's like none of them have not been assaulted sexually at some level, yeah. physically, verbally, or with their eyes. Anyway, that factors in to this ability to be physically intimate. But um, 
you hear me wrestle with God about sex. And again, it's a metaphor within a metaphor. Sex points to our eternal reality. That completion you alluded to that we want it sound just like the world. Like that's, you know, we can roll our eyes at Disney, but in some ways we're not looking far enough when we look at Disney. Mm. It's not about, well, that's not real, but it kind of is. Like that's yeah. why people love Hallmark so much, the Hallmark movies. That's why they love Disney so much. That's why they love chick, chick flicks or people do. I don't, but people do. Um, is it speaks to our eternal longing. We think it speaks to our desire for marriage, which maybe it speaks to our desire for the marriage. And then this like longing, this desire to be physically close. You know, again, I can roll my eyes at guys like, oh my goodness, you guys are always ready to have sex. I'm always ready to have a deep emotional conversation. Both of those things represent God. Right. Our desire for oneness and completion, but our issue happens when we look for that in the spouse. Now, the answer isn't, okay, here's my, all right, fine wife. Here's an emotional conversation. Fine husband. Here's my physical body. And I'm stereotyping. I know this can be swapped in marriages, but there's a lot of different, yeah, yeah. there's different versions of this, but Mm -hmm. fine. It's an, okay, but now I'll go get my real heart needs met in my Bible study with Jesus. Yes, we can get our heart needs met in our Bible study with Jesus. But what if God wanted to use marriage and sex in marriage and emotional conversations in marriage to show us something about himself? What if in, so now we're isolating sex as a version of oneness. What if in this physical union, God wanted us to look through it to, mm, I cry about sex now and I was ready to leave my husband over this. What if he wanted to show us how we will be one with him someday? Mm. What if how we will experience that? Like, it's just a foretaste of future glory. So that, um, obviously, clearly, <clears throat> radically altered me. And it was yeah. not in chapter two. <laughs> it's years. Yeah. It's right. years of wrestling with God. Um And it's still, Matt and I will still say we're quote unquote working on our metaphor. We don't have this, all of this on lock, the emotional, physical, any of it, but I get it so much more now, like the starting ground, God wants to be one with us. And he, does he want to show you if he's called you to marriage, more of his union with you through your spouse. Right. I don't know. Maybe I didn't know that. I mean, but we don't. Yeah, we we said this over and over again, but we just don't talk about that. Don't like, they, talk about it. Just, yeah, marriage is so simplistic and we just made it like, oh yeah, just do that. That's going to make everything better. And, you know, and like nobody, people struggle. People Nobody's living struggle. that reality just like without work and without, uh, yeah, without trying and yeah, giving it all to, to Jesus. So, right. um, yeah. Right on. Yeah. Uh, okay. I may be opening a can of worms here, but I think it's important to talk about uh, because your book does a really good job of handling uh, trauma. So we've actually, so uh, we've adopted our our youngest is adopted. And so we kind of train other people in dealing with trauma and little people, you know, Uh, 
Yeah, it's it's uh, it's like trauma is the worst. It is the worst. It is it is absolutely the worst. And I loved how you described the body experiences of trauma because I don't think that that gets enough play out there. You mentioned Bessel van der, van der Kolk and his uh, his book um, and how trauma affects the body. So can you just talk about trauma and like what you have sort of yeah. So Matt, my husband, Matt is more the expert in that. And, um, but I will say, you know, in my studying it to even write our book, like, and experiencing it, our body stores trauma and to such a place, you know, I think a piece I quoted of Bessel van der Kolk, who's like trauma expert times a billion. Um, he, talks about how like when it goes in when you're traumatized just how your body responds uh can even create things like autoimmune diseases and like make you sick like it kills you which you know that makes sense when we think we were created for eden we're created for perfect and then sin goes up against that and it affects not just your psyche it affects your whole self which again just points to the beauty of god but man i love this phrase i don't know who said it first but like satan doesn't have his own clay like god created us Mm. and satan distorts he didn't like oh, I'm going to make this new thing happen. He just distorts. And so God is always fighting for us and for our wholeness and healing, even after trauma happens. But I just hate how the enemy just aggravates everything. And so when you're, you know, gone through trauma, like for me, just like making you feel then shame about what happened to you and then self-hatred and then just makes it worse so your body's affected your spiritual self is affected and um i mean it i am a a competent intelligent articulate woman and trauma when i can get badly triggered it feels like someone punches me in the side of the head and i fall off a cliff it's like you can't talk your broca's area you know shuts down you can't respond like it's not like a matter of well you're just not smart enough to overcome it trauma is the worst (laughs) yeah yeah it is and just even how you described how you know those like matt wasn't your perpetrator but like he just like was this uh, this analogy or just kind of became that in your mind uh, like a ghost of the perpetrator yeah. yeah he just reminded me of him and somewhere in my head right somewhere in my head and so it it also too, you know, there's a lot of research around this is whenever your trauma happens, a part of you like stays that age. Like anyway, it's, I, I can't show you one uh, study that says that, but there's a lot of things that point to that. And we do, I do have sources in our book, but just like that you stay the age that you are. And so let's say I was three. So, so it's like, okay, I get triggered my adult self is still sitting there and you could be right. like, Hey, adult self, you're an adult. So you open your mouth and talk. 
but you're like little child. I call her little Lori um, for obvious reasons in the book. Like she's, she doesn't, she feels scared. She feels trapped because when the trauma is happening, you do go to fight or flight or freeze. Like you just shut down. So that part of you who hasn't processed what's gone on going on can go back to that age. And so that was a lot of what I worked on in therapy. And a lot of people have gone through trauma is reconnecting the neurons to be able to say, no, you're not three, you're not six, you're not 10 or whenever these things happen to you, you're an adult. And so to have compassion on that child to have, um, we have a scene in the book where Jesus has compassion on that child. That was huge for me. Mm. Um, one of several things, but that helped me to kind of grow up a bit to remember my age and to separate Matt from the perpetrator. Yeah. I'm just even thankful. I just want to thank you for those, just even those experiences, you know, where you talk about how you like interact with God and like what, how God is speaking to you. And I just really appreciate that you put that in the book. I know that's very vulnerable, but uh, it helped me sort of like kind of understand what was going on. And I felt like I was sort of, I I was a part of the narrative, which I think is is pretty cool. So thanks man. It's a risk, but I'm glad to hear it's worth it. I literally could talk to you about this all day. We should probably, though, uh, tend to our children at some point here. At some so, point. <laughs> so could, do you mind? I know you have a ministry. I know you know the book. The whole yeah. it's a whole thing. Can you just talk about where people could find you and? Yep. Yeah. So my name, you know, LauriKrieg.com, L-A-U-R-I-E-K-R-I-E-G. You can find links to our book there. Um, and just blogs we've done. We also have a weekly podcast that we do called the whole in my heart podcast. where we're talking about the intersection of primarily the gospel and sexuality, but we really just want to place the sexuality conversation in a greater gospel conversation. Um, and we often engage LGBT world, which has been such a hidden one. I just want to bring it into normal conversation from an orthodox view of marriage and sexuality. So yeah, lauriecreek.com. You can find, find the resources. Yeah. I think that's great. I appreciate all that. Um, I appreciate you bringing it into normal conversation because that's what, that's the next step that the church needs to take as opposed to ignoring it or being uh, willfully uh, against uh, the LGBT issues. Like we have to address this and we have to disciple people along these lines or we're going to lose people and, or we are losing people. I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So thank you for that work. I think that's uh, important. So are you ready to jump into our final two questions? I am ready. Okay. All right. So my first question is what is the strangest job that you have ever had? (laughs) So I was a voice actress for like 11 years on a Christian family radio drama that was not Adventures in Odyssey. Are you for real? How? Yeah. Was that a thing? I mean, like, were you a voice actress? It's like a subculture in a subculture. But yes, it was a thing. Uh, So, yep. When I was in high school, um... My dad was actually a part of an organization that started this thing. So I had to audition for a family. It was basically like seventh heaven, if you remember that, for radio. And it was kind of like Adventures in Odyssey, if you know that, but not as good, to be honest with you. I'm sorry. The writers are amazing. I just maybe am a super fan of Adventures in Odyssey, which is... Anyway, they're great. But it was... Now I feel bad for all my writer friends, but... (laughs) 
it was um we didn't have their budget. It was really, it was sweet. So I would, I was there from my freshman in high school through college, I think maybe until I was married and I like studied abroad and they like sent my character to Peru. And anyway, it's so funny, but I like can still get into it. Her name was Brooke was my character. I can get into Brooke voice and Matt will be like, stop, stop it. Stop doing Brooke voice. Cause it's very like, I'm an older sister and I know everything. She would be perfect. Very, very perfect. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> I, mean, I I wouldn't even tell my friends. My friends would ask me in college, like, where are you going? I was like, I don't know. Bye. <laughs> so you just show up in a studio and like read read these lines? Are you solo or are you like with other people? Like, it was both. Who were actors. Okay. Yeah. So it was with like there's some really amazing actors. They were awesome who were like our parents and stuff and other people. They've been like my siblings. It's one of them. She's the neighbor. She's been on the boys and blah blah. So it's really fun to see where people, where are they now? Um, but it's funny now when fans of the radio drama find me and they're like, oh my gosh, Brooke is gay. It's so <laughs> this. Or I hadn't like, even thought about that. Yeah, they like got, I'm like, anyway, it's, it, what's sweet is um, is the people who listened there and then if they have similar stories to mine. Anyway, there's actually been like some sweet ministry that can happen. That's amazing. I love that. And yeah, that is fascinating. Um <laughs> Awesome. Okay. So my final question then is what is one piece of advice you would give to somebody looking to bring God's kingdom more into their work? I mean, thinking about 2020, um, I get made fun of because I talk about spiritual discipline of lament, like way too much, but I think we have a lot too, too many of us, all of us who have unforgiveness locked in our hearts toward them, they over there, that group, my mom, my dad, my husband. And um, the nice Christian thing to do, quote unquote, is to just like throw. Do you know what a muumuu is? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so like big, the dress sort like of big dress. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So like we have all this bitterness, like daggers that people have done to us, daggers like stabbed into us. And then we just throw a muumuu over the whole thing. And then we go to work and we um, are mean to people or edgy or fake. And we wonder why. I think we need to take the muumuu off and look down at ourselves and go, ah, I've been stabbed. That's mm. lament. Mm. And that's like a quarter of the Psalms, you know, it's just saying like, God, this is hard. And then take each dagger out and give it to Jesus, picture him on the cross and name the sin done to you. That's true forgiveness. And let God be the punisher because we're going to punish either too harshly or too leniently. So, and then confess how we've sinned as a result. So I would just say we got to grieve and forgive. And then maybe we'd stop yelling at each other so much. Wow. That is, uh, that's powerful, Lori. I, uh, that's really good stuff. Um, do you have any resources like you would send people to about the, like, I've never read anything on the spiritual discipline of lament. Yeah. Um, my favorite, I mean, how I talk about that. I mean, if you listen to our podcast, just like do like a lament search. Um, yeah. Message me. I'll send you one in particular, but look for yeah. lament. Yeah, you can maybe link it in the episode notes, the one yeah. I'll send you. But my favorite book on Lament is actually by this 90s singer, bear with me, Michael Card. Remember Michael Card? Yeah, I, yeah. He is actually 
I don't want to say that sounds rude, but he is a very, I love his books. And mm. um, he wrote one called A Sacred Sorrow. And it's just so beautiful. I love, love, love that book. Um, Lament is kind of like trendy for the last few years. So more and more yeah. I hear about it, but uh, his is my, my favorite book on Lament. And then maybe in the show notes, I can send you one of the talks I gave on it, but we talk about it a lot. We've done even like how to Matt and I lament, how do we incorporate listening prayer with it? So I'm obsessed, but I could not do this job, my friend, with all the hate I get without engaging that regularly because mm -hmm. you would hear in this interview bitterness and that ain't pretty and it's not godly and god the holy spirit can't is a hard time i think moving when our hearts are calcified with bitterness and hatred i'm just trying to soak all that in yeah <laughs> <laughs> just uh yeah I appreciate that. I think that is uh, incredible advice, uh, not only for work, but just for like existing in now. Um, yeah. Lori, this has been so good. Thank you for the book. And just, yeah. Tell Matt, I said thank you as well. I Cause I really got a lot out of uh, his portions of the, of the book uh, for real. So um, yeah. Thanks again for coming on. Thank you so much. It was such a joy. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing from Lori again. Uh, go get this book and, and read it. It is a super fast read just because you can't put it down. Uh, I just, I, I read through it so quickly just because their story is so compelling. And so I highly encourage you to read it. Uh, and just, yeah, just think about what our lives are, are orientated towards and, and just, what, what it means for, for God's kingdom to be ever present in everything we do, including our marriage and in, including sex and, and all of these things. I think it's just such an important topic. So I hope you check out Lori's stuff. This is a great time to go to the bottom of your iTunes app. You can leave a rating and review there just to get the word out about a theology of hustle. And I just like knowing that you're listening and enjoying. So uh, go leave me a rating and review. And until next time, get out there and hustle.